0: Hi, this is Bruce Clark, host of Twip Weddings. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is provided by the Cashfly Content Delivery Network. Send your web content blazingly fast with Cashfly. And now, pay as you go. Start with 2 terabytes free by going to C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot and use the promo code TWIP. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Photomatics, the easiest way to create stunning HDR photos. This episode of Twip is brought to you by Pocket Shooters, the newest addition to the Twip Network. It's a show focused on mobile phone photography. Get notified early by signing up at Twip.pro slash pocket shooters. That's Twip.pro slash Pocket Shooters. This is Twip, episode 483, Top Picks from Photokina. Photography's largest trade show, Photokina, kicked off this week in Cologne, Germany, with a veritable big bang of new cameras, lenses, drones, and more. This week's panel shares their favorites from today's bounty, as well as a look at some underperformers from the show. We also take a look at the Pentax K1, a camera that DxO Mark has rated as the third best camera they've ever tested. It's Monday, September 19th, 2016, and this is TWIP. Hey there and welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me this week to discuss a couple of things, one or nine things that are happening in the world of photography this week are Mr. Don Komareczka of Don Komareczka Photography and Mr. Steve Brazel from Steve Brazel Photography and KCAL FM. Though we have a new guy, a new kid on the block, Mr. Steve Brazel. This is the hazing. Sorry, man. They all got to go through it. You know, it's it's like joining the TWIP fraternity. So what's uh, Steve Brazel? First of all, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what's going on with you.
1: Uh, my name is Steve Brazel. I'm a concert photographer from Southern California. I'm the house photographer at San Manuel Indian Bingo and Casino in, in Southern California. Uh, I'm also, as you mentioned, I'm with KCAL FM, which is just outside of Los Angeles. It's in Redlands, California, a rock station here, and that's where I... Did for years most of my concert photography, and till I started shooting for the casino, um, I'll also shoot Muay Thai fights. I'm into martial arts, cool. so I'll shoot some of that as well. But my my main focus really is live music concert photography. I there there is nothing we were talking about it before you hit record, but. There is nothing like being in a photo pit before a band goes on and feeling the yeah, energy. Yeah,
0: you know of the what? Crowd. I love just, just talking That's to you about some of the stories because you and I will chit we'll chat from time to time and you'll tell me some of the horror stories behind some of these musicians. Oh, yeah. And you think these musicians, the, the horror stories of like, I need my green jelly beans or this person looks really nice and, you know, they seem really nice publicly, but backstage they're a dragon. You know, you've got a ton of stories like that. Yeah. And what's funny
1: is the ones that you don't expect yes. to be the diva are the ones Am I allowed to say are any
0: names diva. or would that be bad? I can't
1: do that. Okay, I can't do no, that. No, that would be bad. <laughs> yeah, that would It's it's. It, didn't no, I have you sign the you NDA? I'm didn't. pretty sure I did. I'm so pretty sure I, I did before I can. I can. No, but I... Yeah. So that's basically what I do. I'm a cannon shooter and uh, that's pretty yeah, much Yeah, you're it. a that's cannon shooter and
0: you got your grubby little hands on that 5D Mark IV, did you
1: not? Yeah, sitting next to me, I get to use it for the first time this weekend. Ozfest meets Knotfest, San Manuel Amphitheater. I'm going to be out there, and and I'm really anxious to see how this autofocus works compared to the five D three, you know, for bands like uh, uh, you know Slipknot and these crazy metal bands that are moving quick. Uh, really anxious to see how That's that. 5D3 cool, man. Well, cool, Well,
0: welcome out. to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank it you, much. It was painless, well I'm not
0: done actually. yet. See, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because there's one other thing that you have, uh, another reason why you're, why you're on the show. You want to talk about the, uh, the little podcast we're going to be launching, Steve?
1: Yeah, we're working on a, a podcast coming out on the Twip Network. It's called Behind the Shot. And basically, it's interviewing a... a you know a photographer whose work we love but it's interviewing them instead of just hey how did you get into photography and what do you shoot it's interviewing them by taking a closer look at one of their shots dissecting one of their great shots to try and figure out what's inside their mind and, and how they end up in the location why they choose the location why they choose the lens that they did um, why they process it the way that they did and get an idea of just how great photographers I love it. I can't wait out. for that show.
0: Well, cool. Well, once again, welcome to the show, man. I am. I am number one. I'm not worthy, but I mean, considering some of the other ones that you've you've pre recorded a couple of episodes,
1: I am not really worthy to be in the echelon with the uh, with the other folks. I've got Canon uh, Canon Explorer of Light Ken Sclut recorded. I've got an amazing. She's the house photographer for uh, the Royal Albert Hall in London, Christy Goodwin. Phenomenal concert photographer, and I'm hoping to get you. Got to get Comer. Yeah, I know a
0: guy. You know, if you, uh, yeah, I can put you in touch. Do with you? him. Yeah. Can you put yeah. me in touch? Cool. Well, welcome, Don Comeretska. Speak of the devil. You are on the show again. Thank you for for stopping
2: by. What what is going on with you, man? You know, it's been a while. So I, I I'm trying trying to remember when the last time I was on. But uh, a couple of big things. Um, one of them that uh, I'm I'm so thrilled and honored and excited to announce is the uh, the Royal Canadian Mint. I've been working with them for a long time. They have uh, they have put one of my snowflakes on currency. Look at that. And so Wait a minute, you have your own <laughs> currency? <laughs> own <money. laughs> I have my own money. Uh this is uh, this is a uh, limited edition pure silver uh, $20 uh, coin that features one of my snowflakes and it. They use like a prismatic enamel on it so that it actually shimmers and sparkles with the prisms like a snowflake would uh, if you were seeing them in person. So, um, yes, I, I'm just totally thrilled with that, and I, I can't be happier about it. I so, love it. I love it. You know, Don, by the way, yeah, bravo.
0: By the way, because you have your own money, last time we spoke and you told me about that, you n- you remember what your nickname is? Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to say it myself because that sounds I'm strange. I'm going to say it. His nickname is now D-Money. There's, I just got to say it. <laughs> D-Money. D-Money Komaretska. There you go. Yeah.
2: Uh, but okay, so th- this this has a limited mintage, this coin of 6,000 and uh, they will be selling out quite quickly from the Royal Canadian Mint. They don't sell for 20 bucks. That's the face value on the coin. They sell for like 113 something Canadian. Um, and uh, I've got a feeling that yeah, but for coin collectors. Oh, it that's is. Awesome. Absolutely. And especially once the mintage sells out, then the secondary market the price will usually go up. Uh if if a mintage is that low. So, uh if anybody wants to get in on uh get in on that, we'll put a link in the show notes to it and uh and you can find out where you can order that. Uh the Canadian Mint will ship anywhere to Canada or the US, and I'm sure if you're anywhere international, you can find one on eBay for the same price. That's cool, man. Congratulations. Um, and- and, Frederick, you know, we've got this wonderful podcast from Steve coming, Yes, and I think we have mentioned before that I've been doing one as well, you and are. it has been far too long coming. Yeah. Uh, it is coming out, uh, I think we've set a date now, haven't we?
0: We did. Yeah, I think, you know, since we started talking about doing your show, Don, I think you, uh, you and your wife were considering having a kid, and then <laughs> had a kid, and now
2: the kid is what? Almost a year three old. Three months now? old, as of yesterday, as we record this. A year old? How old? Uh, three months old, oh, three as months, of yesterday. Okay. Yeah. Thank so, uh, but you know, and, and my, my wife, uh, 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 props to her. She's upstairs. The baby is is having a, a bad evening. Uh, she is having none of of the consoling that uh, that we are offering. So she is being a trooper while I am down here recording this. So uh, as as this uh, continues on, minute by minute, the IOUs uh, uh, rank up and up and up and up. So uh, <laughs> you can forget about ever getting ahead of that train, sir. <laughs> no, I I understand that, and uh, I I have accepted it at this point. Yes. But. Uh, so our podcast uh, that's going to be on the Twip Network is Inside the Lens, and it is going to be a wonderful uh, traversal of science and photography. We are going to discuss the uh, the science of light itself, uh, the science of human perception, how a camera sees things fundamentally differently than a camera. Uh, we'll, we'll see perception, memory, philosophy, psychology, all of that wraps into what we're talking about. I've got episodes recorded from color scientists, people that deal with electron microscopes. Frederick, again, you have the habit of being the first guest, and that's wonderful because Uh we talk about the inception of digital photography with you, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just going to be a wonderful journey, I think, uh, that will be somewhat timeless. Uh, Same as Steve's podcast, because when you talk about not just the gear that's announced that particular day, I I expect a lot of people to listen to this episode of This Week in Photo, because there's a ton of announcements, and this is a revolutionary day, I think in photography, oh God, yeah. uh, but at the same time, you know, some of the other topics that transcend uh, the technology that is out that the gear of one year to the next. I think that Steve and my podcast really hit the mark on those. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to your podcast as well, Steve. Yeah, yeah
0: it's gonna be, fan- gonna be <coughs> fantastic. Well, thank you very much.
2: Like I say, I've got to get you on as a guest because you're
1: you're really with what you shoot the perfect type of a guest for this type of a show to really, because it's, it's something a lot of people do with the macro stuff, and you're hyper-macro, so. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Um, you know, well,
0: I'll,
2: I'll, like Frederick said, I think he knows a guy uh, to put you in touch. I'll, but. I'll see if I can get you guys <laughs> connected somehow, don't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, well, Don, welcome. Welcome back to the show.
2: Um,
0: but speaking of kind of, you know, giant announcements, today has kind of been a, what's a good term for it? Are you guys familiar with the Cambrian Explosion? Remember the Cambrian? Don, you <laughs> know that, yeah. You know what the Cambrian explosion was, right?
2: Yeah, and so I think that this is about twofold. That, yes. But, uh, as as far as photographic gear and the gear acquisition syndrome that we all suffer from, uh, this has a definite impact on us. Yes, yeah. So if folks if folks aren't aren't geeky enough
0: to know what the Cambrian explosion is, as the cool <laughs> Steve Brazel rock star photographer over there, you know, even if he knew, he couldn't say he knew because he's too cool.
1: <laughs> I'm a rocker, not a scientist.
0: You, yeah. would, like, you wouldn't be in the rock, the rock star club anymore. Uh, but the Cambrian Explosion was this time in the past where, uh, where inexplicably 90-ish percent of life on Earth showed up. <laughs> they don't know. They don't know why. It just okay. kind of, there was this point in time where there wasn't much life, and then boom, all these life forms showed up all of a sudden. That's kind of what happened today at Photokina with all these announcements that they announced. It's been a ton of things. Um, I'm linking to an article in the show notes from. Uh, from DP Review, if I can get pull up here. So from DP Review, I'm just going to go through some of the some of the hotter things that got announced today that I'm excited about personally. Obviously, this this is subjective, and there's so much we can never do justice to all the things that got announced. But some of the cool things at the top of my list is one thing from um, from GoPro. So a foldable foldable, foldable drone, drone with a detachable stabilizer. So a detachable, you can take the gimbal off and put it on a stick, and it essentially becomes like DJI's Osmo. But it's, this, it, it's all one kit. It even comes with a backpack where everything kind of goes in. So they're like, they've built this one amazing system that all your stuff goes in, all your drone gear goes in. And watching the videos on their site, the, uh, you know, the, the representatives from GoPro were even saying, you know, we wanted to make it light enough so that bringing your drone with you was not a decision that you had to make. You could take it with you and not use it, or take it with you and use it, and it'd be little impact on your journey. I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. Depending And obviously, no one's shot with this thing yet, but depending on how it operates, I'm excited about it. So that's the first thing I'm excited about. Uh, The second thing was Olympus announced the development of their brand new EM1 Mark II, their flagship Micro Four Thirds camera, with a bunch of cool new features on there that we can talk about a little bit later. And then also there was an announcement from Nikon. We've been waiting forever for Nikon to ship their action cameras, you know, the Key Mission 360 action cameras. So they came out at Photokina today and said, yeah, we're going to launch that thing in October, but we're also going to launch two other action cams with it. And this is significant because... We've been waiting for this thing, because it's a 4K 360 camera, A, and they announced this way back at, at, in January, <laughs> so and we've been waiting all this time for them to ship it, and it's been coming soon since January, and then finally, Panasonic announced their uh, the GH5, so everyone's been raving about the GH4. I have a GH4, which has been like the ultimate video camera, I use it in my little studio room here, it's... I love it. It's you perfect. Rave about it's a it. great camera, and people love it. So they announced the GH5. One of the tentpole features of the GH5 is wait for it, 6K video. <laughs> so,
1: well, four 4K video at 60 or 50p. 6K and Six K stills, stills.
0: Yeah. So the six, which which essentially no, means it will
1: do 6K video at at 30 frames
0: per second. You, I you believe, can extract. And you can extract 6K stills from it that are essentially 18 megapixel stills. Out of this thing, which is uh, kind of kind of crazy. So this the world is changing. They announced Panasonic announced what is it one two three four four almost five new things and some software updates came out of these guys today or more. It's just a long list of things that have come out, and then the list goes on and on. I'm scrolling. The list goes on and on for for the announcements today. So Don Kamaratschka, let's start with you, man. You saw the list. What what got you the most excited on this I, list? I,
2: I don't know. I don't know where to start. (laughs) I'm looking at this list right now, and it's so cool. Okay, so uh, Fuji, uh, Fujifilm just announced a medium format camera uh, that 51 megapixel, it's going to be using the same sensor, presumably, uh, that is in the Hasselblad, um, uh, their medium format uh, camera. I think it was the the, the X1D. And... um, uh, for, uh, they say they haven't announced a price, but they say that bundled with a lens will be under the ten thousand dollar mark, mm. and that is very exciting because now medium format then becomes affordable to a pro photographer that would otherwise be looking at a flagship camera from Canon or Nikon or Sony, and uh, you know, looking at the features that they pack into there, I get excited about it. But you know, it's the same thing for you, Frederick. Six K video yeah. on a uh, a four thirds camera. I'm just like, okay, you know what. I bought the one DX Mark two for my all around daily driver because it had four K video, great dynamic range and everything else under the hood with a format that could use all of my lenses. And I can do that with like half the price and half the weight and half the size yeah. yep. a few months later. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, I, I feel bad. Um, yeah. I <laughs> well, this this list.
0: I think this list that DP Review published is essentially. If you go to this page, you are going to feel bad, no matter no matter <laughs> what kind of photographer you are, what you own right now. If you go to this list, you're going to feel bad. Either it's because you have something that's been. You know, basically deprecated a little bit, or you're going to feel bad because you want something and you don't have the money to buy it.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I even look at the, uh, the the GoPro session camera, the new one they announced as 4K video in something that is just barely bigger than my thumb. Yeah, I mean, it's the the technology that they are cramming into such a small size is fantastic, and. And it, it breaks my wallet and it, it makes me cry because all of this wonderful technology I don't actually need. No. I just want. Yep. And, and so I, I look at everything, too. And I, I'm wondering because I, I think it was originally in our show notes uh, and I did a little bit of looking into it uh, before all the crazy announcements for today. Yeah. Where is Canon today? Where is Canon sitting in this lineup? That yeah. they, they, yeah. They, uh, they, they announced their uh, their EOS M5. They got trounced. Great. Yeah, got. Yeah, great, great for them. That I, I don't know. It, Canon and Nikon. I mean, Nikon. Yeah, they got their action camera. That is not their core business, and they've got no real splash to make in their core business. Mm-hmm. Neither does Canon. And I'm looking at Panasonic and Sony with their, even, their uh, A99 Mark II, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, thankfully Sony is still supporting that market. That's fantastic. That's great. And Olympus, everybody is trouncing them, all of the up-and-comers. I mean, there's up and comers. There's
0: up and comers.
2: Hasselblad is on this list. Even
0: Hasselblad is innovating. A new company called Young Innovators or, or YI, a Chinese company. Do you pronounce it YI or YI? I, I'm just going to say YI. I'm going to say YI. I thought it was YI. YI. I don't know. I thought it was but G. it's a mirrorless. It, it has a Sony sensor, touchscreen.
2: You know, there's all these new entrants. Okay, but he, here's the thing, Frederick. That camera shoots 4K video and costs $330, <laughs> I think, with the, uh, the the cheaper kit lens. Yes. Three hundred and thirty bucks in 4K video. Yeah. Canon's EOS M5. That camera costs almost a thousand dollars US and does not do 4K video. Yes. I mean, the world has flipped on its head. Well, even the 5D4 doesn't do yeah. 4K video. Yeah, it's it's crazy. All right, Steve, you saw this list.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and you know what shocked me about this list was first of all the fact that I'm I'm not sure yeah, I've got to the end of it it's yet. It's
0: like what is going on?
1: Yeah. You got to check the show notes for this, but it, it, the list goes on yeah. and on and on. And there's a, there's a couple of things that stood out to me, um, specifically, yeah. yeah, that GoPro. Because when you look at the GoPro Karma, the, the foldable drone that, that Frederick was talking about, it comes with a nice case. I can't really tell from photos how big the case is and how big it is folded up, but compared to how you would normally transport a, a, a you know, DJI or whatever drone, it looks like it folds up pretty darn small, and the cost is insane. It's 799 bucks on its own. If you want it with a Hero 5, it's $999. Um, or excuse me, $1,099. You can get it with a Hero 5 Session for, for $100 less. For a foldable drone that is going to be easy to take around, that's going to have a Hero on it, that's going to be a really big boon for people that want to get into uh, you know, drone usage and drone mm-hmm. photography and stuff like that. The, the other one that really hit me there's actually, I mean, there's so many, but there was something on the the, the Olympus, yeah. the EM1 Mark II. That can shoot, again, comparing with what else is out there, which is kind of what you got to do, and, and you know, Canon announcing the M5 today, or the other day, compared to what's just been announced today. This thing shoots 18 frames a second raw, and, and that is if you have tracking enabled. If you don't have tracking enabled, it shoots sixty frames That's, a second. You know,
0: okay. Let's take a step back, gentlemen. <laughs> so, what what do you need to shoot that you need that frame rate? I mean, like, not that I don't want it, but well, what I'm, I'm if, thinking, you know, in one instance was was did I have the the thought, man, if I just had sixty frames a second, I would have gotten that shot. <laughs>
1: Well, at that point, record yeah. in 6K video on your uh, and and pull an 18 totally. you know megapixel frame out. But to me, I look at it. You know, I don't know how fast it's going to focus. I mean, based on the technology that's in that camera, it may not focus fast enough to make a difference. But if you can get a good focus on a fast moving subject, a dancer, a race car, a, a, a martial arts fighter, a concert or something like that, I do a burst on a 5D four, which is seven frames per second. It and in a quick burst, I get three shots. Quick burst on this thing, I'm going to pull thirty shots. The odds are I'm going to get the yeah, shot that yeah. I want out of it. If if you know, proof's in the pudding when it lands on me. But you know, one of the other things I noticed about that that camera, the 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 uh, Olympus uh, EM1, there are 121 focus points, and they are all okay, cross type. That. What does that mean? Well, when you have focus points, they if focus points can. Uh, be you know ver- vertical or horizontal based on how they focus and it's kind of counterintuitive if it's a vertical focus point it actually focuses on horizontal mm-hmm. contrast uh, and Don you're the tech guy so correct me no, I, I think you're if right I'm so wrong, far and this is phase yeah. detection uh, so
2: correct it's phase detection uh, autofocus when you're dealing with cross type autofocus correct I don't know I uh, I believe it's both phase detection and contrast well, detection. Well, that's right. They, they will do both now. But phase detection is the, uh, the, the institutional method of autofocus that was done in film cameras, and it's done all the way through digital. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's a tried and tested technology. And when contrast detection first came out on camera sensors, it was much slower than phase detection was. Uh, now they've wrapped all of this stuff in together into these hybrid autofocus sensors that are quite phenomenal, and I believe this camera has them. So, I'm looking at the specs
1: right now, and it does say it's got all cross type on chip phase detection and contrast detection. So, with that in mind, based on what you're saying, and again, with a cross point uh, focus point, uh, you know, cross type focus point, you're focusing on both the horizontal and, and vertical planes. So, you've got a much better chance, one, at pulling focus with a lens that would support it. And based on what Don just said, if you've also got the phase detection and contrast detection, this thing should yeah. focus like a beast. Yeah,
0: I mean, the what, what is it? Panasonic has their little technology, uh, which has kind of changed the way that I focus with my cameras. It's called depth through defocus. Have you heard of that, Don?
2: I've heard of it. Yeah, I haven't dived into it as far as uh, uh, technology because I, haven't, I, I don't own one of their cameras yet. Yeah. And that, that's really the, the pivotal point for me. As soon as I buy that camera, I know it inside and out. Yeah. I know every, uh, you know, uh, you know every piece of the circuit board inside of it. You're that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know what? I know Brazel thinks he's got, he got off the hook by not telling us what his favorite thing was. So what is, uh, what's your favorite thing, Steve?
1: My favorite <laughs> thing is okay. probably the drone. Um, the, the GoPro. I think that that's going to be a really good one. I, I think also the, the Sony A99 II, which yeah. we didn't discuss a lot, uh, supposedly autofocuses to minus 4 EV. That's, that's um,
0: basically like.
2: <clears throat> that's seeing in the dark.
0: This is just me. Now, how
2: accurate that is, so, I'm not sure. But uh, the fact that it can sometimes at least find a lock is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and to, to your point earlier, uh, Steve, about the 60 frames per second shooting, you know, if you're photographing an insect in flight, Then there are so many times even with my 1DX Mark II that I'm trying to shoot rapid fire of an insect like a a bee or even a a locust or a wasp or something like a small insect and you have a a window of opportunity and so many times that insect is like half out of the frame perfectly in focus mind you but half out of the frame because the timing was off where if I could just fire a burst and throw away 100 or 200 shots to get the one that I'm after then I got that one it's, that I'm after.
1: sounds like you're there. Well, and that brings up another good point, and that is that's 60 frames a second if you're not well, tracking. Well, and I, when I'm doing... W- with that, you'd be tracking. But with, if you turn tracking on on that, you still get 18 frames a second with full tracking. And that, to me, the answer to Frederick's question of when do you really need 60, you
2: may not. But 18 is really nice if you can it I do don't while you're use track. autofocus when I'm doing any macro photography. It's all manual focus. In fact, it's not even really focus. You're not adjusting the focus on the lens at all. You're physically moving the camera forward and backward. So autofocus is not part of the equation for me. So then that 60 frames per second becomes. Par for the course. Uh, now, how many? Right. Like, how long can that go? Well, probably not very long, unless they built an insane buffer into the camera. So, don't mm-hmm. expect that sixty frames per second to last for ten seconds. You're not gonna, you know, uh, store six hundred frames in your buffer. And I'm not sure exactly what this all boils down to yet because we haven't had the cameras in our hands. But um, Steve, to a point you made earlier as well, the five D four does do four K video. Uh, it doesn't do it at sixty frames per second. Oh,
1: it does, but it does it with the crop, yeah, and so does the
2: one one uh, DX Mark II. Uh, and 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 so, well, you know, you have to just adjust your gear if that's ever a requirement for you. So um, it's funny, though, because I've (laughs) I've got this uh, funky 3D macro lens that I had uh, I I made it as a pick last time I was on. And it messes up when you do a crop in on the 4K video because when you're taking two separate sides of the frame, then you have to like limit it even further, and it's not a not a nice thing. So I don't like cropped in 4K video, even though that's the tool that I have. As soon as you've got the full frame doing 4K or 6K like that beautiful GH5, man, that, that, that is a camera I need to own. Yeah. And I'm looking at this entire list of these cameras, even the cheapies. And they are cameras I have to own. You know, I, no, Don, it's funny. Don, I want to say work? one more thing. Oh, no, I, ahead, I, I have to reiterate one comment here Uh-oh. because I was doing some research the other day looking at the Wi-Fi adapter for the One DX Mark II. Yeah. Okay, because I figured that would be a feature uh-huh. that that camera would be more useful with. That adapter is six hundred dollars US. Okay, that YI camera yeah. I could buy two of them that include Wi-Fi for the same price. Like what the, are you thinking? Well, and Wi-Fi
1: is is it, you know it, it's not hard. It's not a six hundred dollar device. It's ubiquitous device now to make. in every
2: camera. And I'm looking at Canon, and yeah, I'm just shaking yeah. my head, and I'm thinking to myself, "Well, and, you're and off
1: the mark." You're shaking your head at Canon, and actually, the one I was thinking of when I said no 4K was actually the brand new one, the M5. That does not do 4K, and you're doing a brand new camera without 4K. But I did have a question. I'm curious, both both of you guys, actually, your opinion on the one thing that they're saying is is a big deal in this camera is the combination IS. So the body itself has a 5-axis IS built into the body. If you have IS in the lens, it actually combines the two for this, you know, super... Wait, now, which, which body are we IS. talking about now?
0: The, oh, the Canon M5. The AM5, M5,
1: the Canon M5. Because, you know, there's mm-hmm. it got trounced it in the articles about it as being, you know, this is the camera that they should have released two years ago, and that argument can be made, and then you release it today without 4K... With seven frames a second, when we just talked about one that, you know, does 18 on tracking, it's got the same processor basically as the 5D4. But this, oh, and one thing that that camera did have that was interesting was Mm. the drag to focus. So on the M5 on the touchscreen you can touch to focus but then you can literally drag across the screen to move the focus almost I'm assuming so real like real time. A focus. So if you're like if you're on the
0: sidelines if you say you're a, I'm wondering if you're on the sidelines and you're shooting like a race car, you know, a race or something and the car is coming at you, can you keep your eye on the LCD and just drag your
1: finger along the car to keep it in focus as it passes you? I wonder. That would be interesting, but I had a totally different idea, and that was with video, which is why the lack of 4K is so huge. But imagine a standard pull focus where a foreground person is in focus, and you want to pull back here as they talk and then pull back forward again. And you could drag from face to face. That would be an amazing thing. That, combined with this combination IS of the lens and body IS working together... I think that body, the M5, has
2: some really neat features. I just think it's lacking in yeah. the areas. It doesn't stand out games. in the crowd because the, the the people that are going to buy a camera will not buy it for those features. They will look at the cameras and the top level features they look for. Or, like you mentioned, video is does it shoot 4K video? No, it's out of the equation yeah. and it's gone. They, there's no further consideration of that camera. Uh, and it, it's got the sensor from the ADD, which is a, a very capable camera in its own right. And it's basically a smaller mirrorless version of that. And in the hands of a skilled photographer, that photographer with a creative mindset will make magic with it and there's no question of that that is the truth of photography as it has always been yes. um, and and but they're not going to buy they're it they're not going to buy it because for the same amount of money uh, or you know what if you are at that level you are you you'd be willing to pay twice that right for for gear i mean if you're at the $1000 price point you will probably have a budget that could stretch a little bit farther. And if you don't, you wouldn't be going with a mirrorless camera. You would be going for a bigger body.
1: Well, and if if you look at buying decisions, if you're a professional and you do video, you're probably already shooting 4K. So that camera's not even on your radar. If you're an amateur and you don't know any different, you're going to walk into a camera store or look online, and all you know is, well, my phone Mm -hmm. shoots 4K. So you don't even know if you'd use it, you probably don't have the storage or editing capability on on your old PC or whatever to edit it, but as a average non-photographer consumer, you're not gonna buy it just because it doesn't match up on a spec list. Especially
0: considering how far we're into the maturity of a 4K uh, feature in these cameras. Like you said, it's in our phones, it's everywhere now, and if you release a camera that does not have yeah, exactly, you release a camera that does not have four K, it's kind of like it's becoming like power windows in cars. Even the cheapest the cheapest <laughs> cars that you can buy have power windows these days. And if they don't, it's conspicuous. Yeah. You know? So now, you know, we're getting to that that with the four K stuff. I don't know.
1: It's uh No, I was just gonna say those are kind of my favorite things. I, I honestly though think that the uh
2: the drone thing is gonna I have be a, a drone. People pick
0: want out of this list. That I want to share with you. And
2: this. I, I have two picks that I know will be forgotten after Photokina that I want to mention after yours. Okay. Frederick. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go first. So the uh, I'm a big fan of Fuji.
0: The Fujifilm Instax line. That's their instant their instant print line. You know, you have these cameras that you take a photo and the the the, the picture slides mm-hmm. out like a Polaroid. Um, well, I have the SP1 which is a – at the SP1, I think they recently released the SP2, which is a little printer. It's back there. I won't get it. but It's a little printer that you connect through Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. I think it's Wi-Fi to your phone. Then you can print, make little prints, and hand them out to people. You know, it's wonderful. It's great. They also – apparently, I don't have a Fuji camera, but with some Fuji cameras, you can print directly from the camera to the Instax. Well – I've always thought. Now they make the the film sizes. They make like an oblong 16 by 9 aspect ratio uh, paper, and they also make a smaller one, which is kind of portrait. And so portrait aspect ratio with the with the bar on the bottom for you to write on. They've announced today that they are working on square format, a square format Instax camera and film. Which I think makes a lot of sense for people that still like to shoot in Square for services like Instagram. Even though you can use non-Square formats on Instagram now, a lot of people still like to shoot in Square for Instagram. But now you can, you know, theoretically, just print those out if you can connect to Instax that way. I think that's crazy. Or just shoot that way with the new camera that they're developing or they're coming out with and print out Square. I think that's going to be that's going to be a big deal when that
1: comes out. Well, I, I mean, I... I I would argue, I totally agree with you that it also brings back that real frame yeah. of mind of a Polaroid. Mm-hmm. No I mean, pun they were intended. Square, so it, yeah. I mean, it, totally. it really is nostalgic totally. in that way. However, <clears throat> you have Instagram now that has actually changed and now is accepting right. non-square yeah. images. So even the Instagram, which to kids today that don't know what a Polaroid is or don't remember peeling, which you going, never had to do, by the way, that was a waiting mess. for, it. <laughs> waiting for. I know, but everybody yeah, did sure. it. Am I wrong? Um, And so you've got a world now that they're moving away from limiting to square, and a lot of people are putting up on Instagram non-square images. So the question is, is this too late? I, I would get one. I, and I, I think if
0: anyone's listening that wants to buy me a Christmas gift, that would be an ideal Christmas gift. <laughs> that wouldn't break the bank. I mean, it's it's kind of a cool camera, or a cool cool format. All right, Don, I can't wait to hear what you you've got lined up. Hey, what? well,
2: I mean, speaking of square, I was actually looking at because uh, I've been dabbling in three D photography, going back and, and trying to source out uh, one of uh, a a, a relitoscope which was the very 1st Roleye branded camera, which was a stereo camera that shot on 6x6 six six, uh, stereo uh, medium format negatives, yeah. which, I mean, that was revolutionary in its day. Um, and I'm trying to find one for cheap. If anybody in the, the TWIP army uh, has one and is willing to, to let it go, please let me know. Um, but speaking of square, Hasselblad has announced a concept camera oh. that is so very intriguing. Yes. And this concept camera is a 75-megapixel camera that shoots a square image in the digital world. And I think that this is a first as far as a professional image-making device uh, is going to create. This camera is designed, or at least it's conceptualized, to be modular. And it's ridiculously, and I think maybe even oversimple, mm-hmm. but they've got like a, a mechanism on, on one side that is... A, a shutter button and a little breakout arm that, that has a little shutter button. On, on the other side, it has a little dial or a knob or some sort of control module that plugs in there. You can swap them. So you can make it a left-handed camera. The if you're a lefty... The ambidextrous camera, Finally! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's modular. the The different components on the sides that can be simply cool. replaced, and and who knows what other modules down the road oh. will be potentially created for this particular camera. Oh, uh, you can uh, get rid of the uh, the viewfinder if you don't want that, and replace it with just sort of a top down viewing screen and look at it that way. This is a really fun device, and if they coming, make man. the lenses for their mirrorless medium format camera to not have any window that blocks it down specifically to the four x three ratio and just keeps it as a full image circle, then those lenses will work on this camera and give you a square image as well. And you're talking about the, V1 the V1D, D, right? exactly. And this is it is wonderful such camera. a fun camera concept. It's beautiful too, and that, that, it's, it looks like a work of art. It is beautiful. It, it's seventy five megapixels. Exactly. And and I'm looking at this and thinking, want, absolutely. Yeah. This uh that's, that's and right you on know the what the edge of want and 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 need, kind of like the ring and Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like You know what? <laughs> but it, it it's also one of those things that if I were to dream up a camera and then wake up after that wonderful dream and write it down on paper, this would be that camera. Yeah. yeah. Frederick, I'll buy
0: you that insta John, deal, because that is a bargain right there, man. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. Isn't it interesting, though? How, I mean, I don't want to pile on with the with the whole Nikon, Canon, you know, lack of innovation thing. But Hasselblad, they, you know, you don't think innovation at least not until like within the last couple of three years or so. You don't really think innovation when it comes to Hasselblad. When I thought Hasselblad, I thought. In my head, it used to be expensive, high quality, Rolls Royce of cameras that were out of reach and maybe slightly out of touch because they don't need to innovate as faster. But they're now they're becoming maybe all of those things that I just said, but also highly relevant and innovative with, with these new cameras that they're coming out with. It's it's crazy. I mean this is and I was talking to Trey Ratcliffe the other day and Trey, you know, Trey bounces from camera to camera and he's like or from from system to system and he's like he's talking about Hasselblad maybe being the next place where he wants to go in terms of those HDR images he makes which is pretty pretty telling of the industry I don't know so Don if this camera we don't I'm looking for pricing on here I don't see pricing
2: no, it, it, it's a concept it's right a concept. now. I don't even know if it will end up becoming a product. It is just got it. Hasselblad throwing it. it out to the market and saying, hey, oh, that do you has you guys to become a product. Like this? They wouldn't tease us. And like that. I am firmly shouting out to the TWIP army saying, yes. Yeah, we want, uh, we want that. Please make this. I
0: need that sitting on the passenger seat of my Tesla as I drive around in Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it needs to happen right
2: there. All right, what's your next one, Don? You had another one? All right, so the, the second one that I had that. It's an interesting, I I don't necessarily know if this is a pick of mine or not, or if it will be forgotten very quickly, but it is the Leica Sofort instant camera. You were talking about the Fuji Instax uh, square format, and I was so surprised to see this. Leica coming up with their own camera that shoots on Fuji Instax film. Right, another one of those bespoke brands coming out
0: with something Amazing, amazingly relevant and unexpected. It's crazy.
2: But, you you, you know, Leica is always about quality and precision engineering and handmade and and, and the the beauty of design and the experience of everything. And I suppose that experience does echo into the instant film world. However, they... I, I don't know if this is a proper fit for their brand. I'm really on the fence. I would love to see one in person and really feel how it how it handles uh, and, and what the resulting images are for. I, this could potentially be a misstep for Leica. They've made them in the past. Uh, or it could potentially be a huge success. I'm going go to go to the And I'm looking ladder. at this thinking I think that— I think it's going to be a huge success. I, I look at it and I think that Leica this yes. is a this is a wonderful opportunity because if you price this right and pricing information hasn't been given yet mm-hmm. but if they price it right it could be like dipping your toes into the water of the Leica uh name brand and I, getting I think, this I look at, it at a cost that lets you explore it, it it's a ga- it could be a gateway
1: drug to Leica you know
0: the Leica brand in a lot of ways is a status symbol for it's like it's like for photographers is like walking around with a Michael Kors purse or you know for women it's it's that it's like you don't really need it but it you know there's there's that that ethos and that zeitgeist of 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 what these Leica cameras and the Leica look and all that so when you carry a Leica camera around not only are you a serious photographer but you're also kind of a hipster cuz you have a Leica and not you know a Panasonic or a Canon or Olympus or whatever so i think this camera, this Sofort camera, will serve to be that camera that a lot of hipsters will just wear around.
1: <laughs> just... There, there is one thing. There is one thing I'm seeing in the specs. First of all, it's a it's a fixed 60 millimeter lens, which which is yeah, but on to what sensor size?
2: Then? Well, on on the film size, right? Well, it's, it's, it's a 34
1: millimeter be... equivalent for its, its sensor. right. So
2: it, because the the actual film size is going to be larger than the 35 millimeter sensor size. Then you Correct. downscale it down to the thirty-four million. Mm.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's it's a thirty-four equivalent. But what what I'm saying is the the one thing I'm curious about is it's got a twelve point seven aperture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, fixed. Yeah.
0: So you basically need you need to be standing on the surface of the sun in order to get an exposure. Is what you're saying?
1: I'm just saying this would be yeah. great for people at the beach, people Not want so to take snapshots. Yes, but it is going to have limited, you know applicability in, in certain situations where you're yeah. not going to well, get I the shot I don't think it's
0: for are. that. I mean, for those things, you're going to pull out your phone anyway,
2: right? So. You're going to be doing street photography with this yeah. thing. And when you're doing street photography, you will probably be right. in bright sunlight or bright light of some kind. And, well, <laughs> yeah, well yeah. exactly. You know, you've got no choice. Yeah. So uh, choose your location. It, it, it only goes down to a slowest shutter speed. Of one-eighth of a second. And I don't know if that's a limitation of the film where you have to then start to calculate into reciprocity failure and all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff. But um, that's a term we don't hear much these days. No. But, uh, you know, okay, film. so even a <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Well, you, you brought up shutter. That, that also then you got to mention that it also
2: only goes as high as 1,400. This is true. And so you have a very limited range in which for to work. Uh, now at it. that, I F- think you're missing it. Point. You're missing
0: it. This is not for that
2: stuff. This, if you've ever shot with the Instax cameras, they're not for, they're not for the Don Moretta. <laughs> no, Frederick, I'm establishing who it's not for right now. Yeah. I am establishing that it is not for the highly technical photographer. It is for the hipster. You said, you know, this is going to be worn as a status symbol. Yeah, yeah. and yes. and this camera is going to these cameras are going to take a lot of blurry pictures. I can guarantee you that they are going to take a lot of quote unquote artistic images. Uh, yes. In, in their lifespan and and many of them will only ever run through 50 shots um but that that is the nature of the beast mm. i agree
1: i do have one i got to bring up frederick because it made me think of you when i saw it and that is i don't know if you, oh, use pocket you pocket know Wizards i do yes but pocket wizard introduced the flex tt5 for the panasonic now they've had obviously canon and nikon but you'd be able to use Pocket Wizards yeah. now with your Panasonic yeah. You know,
0: I have Pocket Wizards now, and you're right. I, they, it's the old brute force Pocket Wizards that, that just, you know, triggered the flash. I would They're definitely not, right. TTL. They're not TTL. I would yeah. love to have TTL flashes. So, again, anyone watching this that wants to buy me a Christmas gift <laughs> or <a> birthday <laughs> gift, which is <laughs> happening before, this would be cool for that. So, cool. All right, guys, let's move on. Uh, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about a brand new actually this is a camera that that broke some records over at DXO Mark this episode of TWIP is brought to you by Photomatics. Photomatics Pro is the industry leading software for HDR photography, offering a wide range of effects from the most natural looking to highly artistic and surreal, along with the best in alignment of handheld photos, advanced ghost removal, and much more. Are you new to HDR photography? Well, you should check out Photomatics Essentials. It's for those that are new to this technique. It's got a simplified workflow and built in guidance for bracketing your images, and it still has the strength of Photomatix. And brand new to the Photomatix lineup is Photomatix OneShot. It's an extension for Apple Photos that adds Photomatix magic to single exposures. Download your free trial today. The trial does not expire and it just adds a Photomatix watermark to the final image. It's perfect for getting your feet wet and trying out the technique everyone has been talking about. HDRsoft.com has video tutorials and other resources to help you get started. Just head over to HDRsoft.com and click on Download. That's HDRsoft.com and click on Download. Photomatix Pro, it's the easiest way to create stunning HDR photos. All right, guys, we are back. So one name that you don't think of often when you think of amazing cameras, and I know I'm going to catch some flack for this, but Pentax. So Pentax, the K1, has garnered the third best full-frame camera ever tested Kind of, you know, trophy from DxO Mark. So DxO Mark, you know, obviously the guys that make the DxO One, that little cell phone camera, the iPhone camera, but even before that, they kind of established the benchmark for these higher end cameras, where they, you know, talk about quality, light sensitivity, focus speed, all that stuff. Well, they tested it. They put the Pentax K One through their gauntlet of testing, and it came out. Get this third best full frame camera ever tested just below the A7R2 and the Nikon D810 both of which are twice the price of the K1 so steve brazel does does this mean that it's time for the people that are thinking yeah I'm going to update I'm going to upgrade my Nikon or my Sony should they be considering pentax
1: you know it's Yeah, I would say yes, and I'll, I'll say yes for a couple of reasons. For example, I just bought the 5D4, but I'm shooting all Mark I lenses. So my 70-200 to 200 is a Mark I, I'd like mm-hmm. a Mark II. My 24-105 to 105 is a Mark I, they just came out with the Mark II. So in a case like me, where I'm really wishing I had new lenses anyway, that means I'm not locked into a system. I mean, if I had all Mark II lenses, I'm not going to go suddenly switch from Canon. But I'm willing right now to switch all of my gear. And this body scored a 96 on the sensor, which, yeah, it does matter. I mean, it's it's not necessarily real world. I'll get into that in a minute, but it's $1,800. My 5D4 was 3400 and this did better than it. So the question then comes in, does that DXO score really matter? And, and, you know, my response to that would be, it does on paper. It does for some things. However, and as... Don will testify to, as you will testify to. There's wedding photographers out there right now that are still shooting 5D Mm -hmm. Mark IIs. And they're making money, lots of money. There are fine art photographers that are making beautiful images still with D40s. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the fact that this is a new camera that's getting this amazing sensor score in no way translates to your workhorse camera is now useless to you. But if you're just starting out and you're looking at a camera and you're looking at a system to invest in, would I consider this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the cool things I like about Pentax is, and we saw this at a couple of camera shows ago
0: when they they, they released um, one of their newest cameras, but they, they have a number of innovations inside their cameras, like obvious things, like fiber optics that light up the dials on the back of the camera. Like little things like that. Steve, you, that's like... I know you'd like that, right? So you wouldn't have to carry around that little
1: flashlight in your camera bag anymore. <laughs> Shooting concerts like I do, the biggest thing is with the 5D3 that I had was when you're an AI servo, the focus points didn't light up red. So when I'm looking at a dark concert stage and there's a spotlight on the singer, <clears throat> but I'm trying to find my focus point and I hold down the AF on the, the, the rear AF... I have no idea where my focus points are. Now on the 5D4, I do. So yeah, innovations like lighting up things without irritating people's eyes and making the camera easier to access in all environments is nothing but a plus. Yeah, and it's, there's also that plus of it doesn't cost an
0: arm and a leg or half of an arm and a leg. 1800, 1800 bucks for that for that camera and you could get into it. Yeah, and that's the thing. See, there's so many at well, least cool options that are coming out here from the big guys like Leica and Hasselblad. You know the the you know the increasingly becoming the big guys the Panasonic's the Sony's the or well, Sony's already a big guy but the Olympus these these players are becoming more and more relevant while we still wait on innovations from some of the other camera companies and you would think and it's always been like you know what, just wait just wait when Photokina gets here these companies are going to come out with all these great things and we're going to know what the deal is finally. And Fotokina gets here day one, and crickets. Insert cricket sound. Don Komaretska, what do you think, man? Pentax K one is it? Is it the shape of
2: things to come? This is this is a huge win for Pentax. Uh, and I think that anybody like Steve had mentioned that they're looking to to buy into a system right now. They are just starting out. They don't know what to go for. The Canon, the Nikon, those are the names in their head, and they might still stick to them because those are known names. I think, unfortunately, that is the biggest value for Canon and Nikon is their history. When you look at Pentax, I mean, Pentax has been around for ages, uh, but they haven't really made that many splashes in the digital world. And this is their splash. This is their big motion forward to say, okay, we are not only relevant We are going to give you better value for your dollars, so that if you're interested in getting in at that mid-range camera where you want to be a pro and you want to have all of the features, this is the camera that will make that happen for you better than anything else at that price point. And so, can I play devil's advocate you, when you're done? Of course. Uh, and so, you know, I, I look at that, and I think I heard rumors that uh, that the the Sony uh, Sony sensor that was originally used in the A7R is been revamped, and that's the sensor that is currently in the uh, the Pentax uh, K1. So, you know, kudos to Sony again for uh, making great sensors for Pentax and Sony and Nikon and everybody else. Um, and the the only The only, I guess, hiccup here is the lenses that would be for this camera because the lenses that for the K1, they've announced a few of them, and that's great, and those lenses cover a wide base, mm-hmm. but they are by no means as diverse as the lenses that you would get for any other system, and that's what you get when you buy into a, a new uh, a new platform, yep. and hopefully there would be adapters that work as well as, say, the the adapters to take a Canon lens and put them on a, a Sony camera. Those adapters are fantastic, uh, and they've made me not even look at the, the EOS M5 anymore because if, if I wanted to use my current gear on a mirrorless Camera, I'm not. I'm not going to buy a, a Canon camera. I'm, right. I'm going to go and I'm going to buy a Sony camera and put the lenses on that. That's that. That, that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Pentax creates such a body that is such a work of art, as far as I can tell, anyhow, again, I haven't had my hands on it. Um, then it should be alluring to new photographers. Now, Steve, what have you to say about uh, <laughs> about my comments?
1: Actually, I agree with everything you said, but it's interesting how this camera body is bringing together so many other things that we talked about, right? We talked about the one camera with the limited uh, f-stop and, and you could use it for street camera and, and so on and so forth. Okay, this has limited lens selection. It's for a niche, niche market. So certain people that are looking for a camera for certain things like street photography, you could do street oh, photography easily. with this, yeah. great. Um, what you get for this 1800 bucks, 36 megapixels, you get the uh, uh, native ISO of over 200, 5-axis, it's in body IS, it's not in the lens, which now you can buy almost any Pentax lens, put it on there and get image stabilization. We talked about on another camera having Wi-Fi and how, you know, it's $600 for a Wi-Fi adapter and this $1,800 body has it built in a 36-megapixel fantastic censored body. But we also gave other cameras a hard time on the fact that they were released in this modern market without 4K. Right. This body is 1080p, uh, so we, we've yeah, got to be fair right. that if we're going to nail other camera bodies for not having 4K in 20, the end of 2016, this has to take a hit oh, for you not are having Oh, you're so
0: right, them. yeah. Yeah, this takes
2: a big hit for that, yeah. I, you know what, I, I don't way, think that it does. This 1,800 bucks is weather sealed. I, I think that it does not take a hit for not having 4K because if somebody is buying this camera as an entry-level device, their first camera, and they are looking solely for stills, and that is what the sensor has been rated at for its stills production of like beautiful, mm-hmm. high-quality images. Then that is where it excels. I and agree, but if you, but, Don, if I, you wanted the 4K, no, no, no. then pay twice as much. No,
0: no, okay. because you're getting these little like these little cameras from the YI whatever guys, right? You Ye guys yeah. that shoot 4K. And I don't buy that because, yeah, in maybe a couple of years ago, you could have said, well, you're, a stills camera is a stills camera. And if you want video, then go get something more expensive. It's we're in a different world now where video and multimedia is so ubiquitous that shooting video it should be in
1: the in the quiver of any good image maker these days. If, if we're going to excuse this body for not having 4K because it's got that market that only wants stills, like me, I'm a still shooter, I don't do, don't do video. My biggest fear on the 5D4 was that they were going to go video-centric at the expense of still stuff. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, which was great. But when you start talking about that, that M5 not doing 1080p... You could make the same argument that for the right niche market, they don't care that it doesn't have 4K and it works for them. Well, different, look, different at, look companies, at the, though. the Nikon D5. Right? could be like, you know, one little division of Canon, right? So it's like, you know. Right. But you see
2: my point. I mean, it, it's it's, you know, you're including Wi-Fi. Why not include 4K? The yeah. sensor will do it. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sure if the sensor necessarily will. Uh, if it is a derivative of the original a7R sensor, as rumors have said that it is, the a7R did not do 4K video, I don't think. That, that is true. Uh, so it could be a limitation of the technology that they just could not put forward in this, in this scenario. But I, I also want to say, you know, if it is the class-leading sensor for stills photography, And that is its claim to fame. And, you know, we haven't seen real-world tests of its autofocus, and we haven't seen how the files get processed and how much actual real-world use we can get out of that. If it can take a better image than any other camera in its class, then a stills photographer, I still think, might find value in that. Now, I do agree that losing the 4K is a huge hit. And some people that are looking for that will automatically write this camera off because of that. Um, well... I- what was that, Steve? Go ahead. I, I was just going to finish off saying that if you look at the Nikon D5 uh, and you look at the 1DX Mark II, which I currently own, they do 4K, uh, at least the 1DX does. I-, I can't remember if the D5 does or not. Um, but... Uh, the the, the 1DX does 60 frames per second, 4K video, and that's fantastic. It records it in a dumb image format that takes up way too much space, and does it cropped in on the sensor? That means I can't use it for all the purposes that I would want to use it for. So yes, it does 4K video on spec, uh, but it doesn't do it in the way that I want it to do. So I'm not necessarily happy with it, even though it does it. It's like they put it. So you got to put do it, it in right.
0: there. They put it in there so they could say, you know, when they put when they did the press release that it has 4K. Yeah. So that those people like Steve is saying wouldn't say, well, it doesn't have 4K.
1: I gotta have 4K. Up. Oh, yep. Yeah, 4K. Check. Okay. I'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah, it should have been on the spec sheet. And, and, and one one quick final thing on a comeback to that, and that is you're right. If you're a stills photographer only, you're going to look at this and you're going to go, okay, fine, it shoots 4K, whatever. I don't care. I'm never going to use it. So why put it in there? I, I understand Don's point 100%. This has an amazing sensor, apparently, according to all these studies and, and these tests. And if you're just a stills photographer, you know, you're not going to care whatsoever about that. Um, but... They still, I think at least, should have put it in there because if you are a professional stills photographer in 2016, most professional stills photographers now are hybrid. Almost every wedding photographer has investigated the possibility of, well, honey, should we really start doing video with our photography you know we've got cameras that do it. In this day and age, a professional photographer quite often does yeah, yeah. both. Yeah,
0: and and even if you don't do both, you don't want to buy. If you're spending money on a new camera body, you don't want to buy obsolescence. You want to you want to have the option to go to it later and experiment with video. But anyway, exactly. We've beaten that horse to a complete bloody. Putt. No, no, I want to beat it one more time. Oh God, uh, here we go. No, I, I just want to <laughs> say I feel one like I thing. Saw some life in that horse, Where's the stick? <laughs> Yeah. No,
2: I, I I recently had uh, had the honor of having some of my video footage being featured uh, as the uh, the title card footage of a BBC documentary series called Forces of Nature. Um, and it's a wonderful series if anybody has access to watch it. Uh, there is a freezing soap bubble that is the title card that freezes solid and then gets shattered to pieces, mm. and I did that on a 1DX, which shoots 1080p full HD, mm. and that's currently being used in a an international documentary series. Uh, it was very, very high-quality 1080p, uh, and the people could work with that perfectly, and that was the output that they were asking for, and they were very happy with the results and that is currently airing right now. So, that's 1080p and I'm able to make money on that. So, that's the final beat to the horse. So, your 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 point Good. is that your Good your point blow. is that we don't need 4K. You can get by just fine with 1080p. So. No, I'm saying that if people aren't asking for 4K, then you don't need to deliver it. Then we can't hit the other camera for not oh, having it
1: then. I don't know. That's, that's, that's a hard one for me to swallow. <laughs> that, that's like my 5D4 has a CF card, and I'm sorry, it should have been CFast. Know. <laughs> you know, it's, there, there is a point where, okay, there is no 4K content. We'll all agree that there's no real 4K content. I mean, okay, Netflix has it, but it's so heavily yeah, compressed. Yeah, but we can
0: also videos. agree that, that the vector is heading in the direction of 4K being the standard in the
1: future. Correct. And if you keep that body for two to three years, there's going to be a point you're going to regret the purchase, is my mm-hmm. argument. Uh, I should rephrase that because I don't disagree with Don at all, but there there, there could be a point two years down the road where you
2: may hypothetically <laughs> regret Okay, the purchase. Okay, Photokina <laughs> two years from now, will be showing like every camera has 8K and everything out today is going to be just useless anyhow.
0: That's true. That is very yes. true. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bold new world. There's lots of stuff. The, I think the takeaway from that is Bravo to Pentax for coming out with something affordable. And from the looks of the specs, high quality. Don, to your point, we'll we'll give you we'll give you a jelly bean. Yes, it's, you know maybe you don't need 4K. Sometimes if shot correctly, 1080 will do the pinch. If you're not gonna crop or anything, especially if you're gonna be delivering 720 as your final output, fine. That's good. But you know, and you also, I think, I think it was you, Don, that brought up the fact that the limited lens selection may be a non-starter for some people. However, I would, uh, you know, in my early days as a photographer, looking at like Nikon's poster with their entire catalog of lenses and just you know drooling after it. Now that I have a, I don't have that many lenses. I have, I think, me have seven or eight lenses to my name, but. I find myself only using two of those lenses, like, at any given time. The rest are pretty much just kind of sitting away, waiting, you know, depreciating. So you don't really need that many lenses all the time. You could probably get by. See, like, when you shoot your con- con- three lenses, right, Steve, when you do your concerts?
1: Yeah, it's the, it's the yeah. holy trinity. It's, a, it's, you know, a wide, like, a 16 to 35, a, a 24 to 70, and a 70 to 200. And that's, that's yeah. my bread and yeah. butter.
2: I think one of the hiccups that, I, that we've been talking about here, kind of the elephant in the room, um, has been the fact that we might be harping on cameras for having features that might prevent photographers from buying them and thereby being a financial success to the camera company versus having a camera that is actually going to perform exceptionally well in the photographer's hands and allow them to create fantastic artwork. Um, And so when they are missing certain features or they don't have this and we say, well, they should have that because then people will buy more of this camera. Well, that's great for the company that's selling that camera. That doesn't matter to the photographer that's buying the camera uh, in essence. Now, in Pentax case, there's the exception. Because if they do not have a financial success with this camera, then the future lens selection becomes a problem. Because if they are not continuing to invest and support the system, then you might be investing in something that is uh, a sinking ship right from the get-go. But we always have to remember that regardless of what features a camera has, it's what features a photographer needs now and moving forward. Yeah. Agreed. All right, guys, let's dive into
0: you know what time is. It? Oh, we're running a little bit long on time. I'm going to skip this last story, which was about Lightroom. So just we'll just touch on it real quick. Lightroom updated Lightroom mobile or or Adobe updated Lightroom mobile. The built-in camera now shoots RAW. So if you on iOS, iOS only, online. if you have an iOS device that is an iPhone 6s or better. You can now record in RAW format, and with Lightroom, you can adjust, add adjustments within your, you know, in your iOS device. Those can, will sync up to the, the, the image file, the image data, as well as your edits will sync up through the Adobe's Creative Cloud. Then when you sit down at your computer and boot up Lightroom up comes that image with the adjustments that you made in the field already in place, so you can continue fine-tuning them and then publish. So that's a, it's kind of a vector of where things are going. I'm excited about that.
1: Let, let me add one thing to that, and that is that the raw format is obviously DNG, uh, so it's their di- digital negative format. But the other thing is, as of July... Uh, Lightroom Mobile has been able to edit raw yeah. images. Any raw image file that is supported by Lightroom or ACR can be edited in Lightroom. So the new feature here is that you can natively shoot DNG Correct. on yes. iOS. Yes, you can. Now, shoot Frederick,
2: it. I, I did not hear any uh, any big wave saying that through the native camera app on an iPhone that you can shoot RAW in that app. You have to use a third party app that activates it. Uh, that that, light, that that's the Lightroom, the app. Lightroom So app, what a yeah. uh, what Apple should have done, uh, if I can stand on my soapbox for a minute, Uh-oh. is they should Don, take every... you've been every... on your soapbox the entire episode. <laughs> and it's been fun. Uh, and so if, if Apple had recorded every image behind the scenes as a raw file, as a DNG file, and then feeds through their API an embedded JPEG to programs that require a JPEG or a raw file to programs that can support the raw file, mm-hmm. then you don't have to worry about recording a raw file through a specific application. The API just handles it, whatever the, the program asks for, it receives, and you are always shooting raw. Uh, and there might be some little thing to turn that off down in the settings if you want to uh, preserve space on, on your device. Yep. Uh, but I think Apple should be handling this seamlessly and not having third-party I, applications. I
1: disagree. And, and I'll tell you why I think they didn't do it the way that Apple captures an image on the iPhone is they shoot multiple images yeah. and through their magic sauce in the, you know, under the hood, through their software, they will shoot multiple images and combine them to come up with the perfect shot. So they don't necessarily shoot single still images and show you single Have they been still doing
0: images. that all along? I know they, they do that with
1: will, the iPhone 7. Yeah, they've been doing it for a long time and with the power now in the, the 6, 6S and now the 7, which this thing is so fast, it's scary. Um, uh, To shoot just raw, I think Apple's whole goal is shoot Mm -hmm. at the middle, right? So when you shoot an image on an iPhone, their whole goal is we want to make it totally simple that 99% of the time, if you grab an iPhone and hit the shutter button, you're going to get a pleasing, acceptable shot. If they were trying to do that with raw, they would not be able to as quickly and as powerfully do the magic sauce in the background that serves 99%. And if you were trying to do that on a camera
0: that only had 16... 16 gigs of RAM in there.
2: Then you know, where you get a couple of shots in there. You know, no, but but here's that compromise. Then Steve, if Apple had done their magic secret sauce for that JPEG, and any application and all of the current applications out there would be accessing a JPEG file, they would get the result of Apple's uh, secrecy and whatever awesome sauce that they put into that. That's perfectly fine, and that is status quo, and that is for the 99% of people. But if they also recorded a DNG file. uh, well, I mean, you would be doing them at the same time, uh, but you just right. have them kind of bundled together behind the scenes that nobody ever gets to see. And if the API asks for the DNG file, then they would get it. And they would get that because it in, it is intentional at that point that intensive editing is going to be done to this particular file to the creative intent of the photographer taking the image. And I still think that these two things can be handled at the same time every time an image is taken. Whether it's turned on or off at default might be debated, mm-hmm. but I think that is a feature that should be included on these cameras.
1: iPhone 8. You, you've, so, you've sold me on that. I would argue it should be off mm-hmm. on default because grandma's not going to understand why she took 10 pictures of her grandkids in her 32 right. Like, it's like 4K. It's, right now. it's
0: like 4K is off by default because not everybody wants 4K. Correct.
1: So, yeah, I totally agree. If that was off by default and you did a RAW mm-hmm. plus JPEG. Love it. All right. Let's move
0: on. We Don, you're building the spec and feature list for the iPhone 8. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> which, which Steve, by the way, you'll be skipping because you're loving your iPhone 7. Are you? Oh, did you get a 7 or, or 7S plus? Oh, you 7. just got the little
1: one? Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Really? Did you just go there? <laughs> yes, I just got the little one. I have uh, small pockets. That's all right, you
0: know. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not there's, <laughs> there's so many directions I could have taken that I'm not gonna do it because you're new on you the could show. Have. You will you're later on. i I'm, sure. I'm not gonna rake you over the coals yet. Yeah. I'll see you <laughs> you later. All right. I'm gonna skip our listener question, guys. Let's move on. Uh, actually, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about. Or actually, I'm gonna let you guys tell us your pick of the week. Coming soon to the TWIP Network, a brand new show called Pocket Shooters. We believe this is an extremely important show and the time has come for mobile phone photography to be taken seriously. The capabilities in some of these late model iPhone and Android devices is nothing short of amazing and the image quality is getting close to what previously was only achievable using professional cameras. This show will explore the vast universe of tools, software, and techniques that you can employ to begin creating pro-level mobile phone shots today so head over to twip.pro/ pocket shooters and get in on our early announcement list and be one of the first people to check out this brand new show on the Twip network once again that's slash pocket shooters all right new guy you get to, you get to go Me? first you're we in the military we would we would call you the FNG <laughs> you are the you get to be the FNG for the next couple of minutes because you know
1: you're the new guy uh, I'll wear that badge proudly. So I, I actually have yes. two quick picks. Number one is that this is thing. That thing. Remember we're audio. We're audio too, right? Yeah, audio we're podcasts. audio too, right? Yeah. That's true. I, I got to say it. So it's in my hand <laughs> in case you can't see it. It's a 5D yes. Mark IV. Um, this body so far, I've played with it one night at, at some Muay Thai fights and loved it. I get to really put it through the loop this coming weekend for OzFest meet not, meets Not, not Fest. But you, you can't wait. So wait, wait. Far you I cannot am. run
0: those words together because it sounds like you're saying you're going to Ozfest Oznot. and then Snotfest, and that does not sound yeah, fun. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> Ozfest means not, okay, not thank fest. You, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and that's happening this weekend out in DeVore at San Manuel Amphitheater, and I get to run this through the paces all day with metal bands, which will be fantastic. Um, but so far, I'm loving it. it it's light. The noise. I, I think I even sent you some pictures. Uh, I just did this bookcase behind me. I did some test shots and I shot this thing 10,000. It was completely clean and usable uh, in good light and well exposed. And then when I started going up from there, is it noisy? Yeah, but it was nothing that good noise reduction would not be able to, to handle. Very impressed with this compared to the 5D3 so far. There's things I wish would be different and that's for a different podcast. But overall, I love this thing. And my second quick one is in doing concert photography, I'm not allowed to use a flash. So I've always used an old 430EX2, and ETTL on that flash is useless. It's just, it's the worst thing on earth. And everybody told me the 600 is much better at ETTL. So I went to, they're back to the normal price now, but Canon has a refurbished store. When you go to the Canon online store, they have a refurbished section. And on a regular basis, the normal lower refurbished prices are cut Mm -hmm. even more. And I got a 600... Uh, Flash, not the brand new Mark II, but the original 600 Flash uh, RT uh, for 379 mm, or mm. something like that. And if you're looking at buying Canon gear, the refurb store comes with a full factory warranty, pretty much. Uh, can't recommend. Can we it. me talk enough. about that just for a second before we go
0: into your pick, Don. The 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 world of strobe. You know, if you rewind back five years, seven years, it used to be like. You know, it it was a much bigger deal than it is today, largely because now less so because of sensor, you know, low-light capabilities of today's sensors. And, you know, we're using continuous light a lot more than strobe. Are strobes still important? You remember back in the day, Steve? You remember back in the day when Joe McMally—I think he still does this, but he would, you know, use— twenty four nikon strobes all talking to each other to light a building or a car or a boat yep. or something like that, and you know which i 'm sure sold a gazillion of those strobes, probably two or three to me, but i 've used them maybe twice since i've since i 've had them, like yeah, I could set up a portable studio and, and be good to go, but how often do I need to do that so i 'm going to put it to you guys. How important is strobe today in the world? of the Sony A7S series cameras and these low-light monsters?
1: That's a great question.
0: Don, you want to go? I'm
2: working right now on projects that I can't quite name for Discovery Channel and National Geographic that rely very heavily on strobes. It would not be possible without it. So, yes, it's incredibly important if you have a use for it. Um, If your use for strobes in the past was because you just did not have enough ambient light, Well, okay, sure, there's that scenario. Now we have higher ISOs and we can accomplish that goal in different ways. But if you're trying to accomplish um removing motion blur if you're trying to uh, do very creative lighting on portraiture if you're trying to have the light come from behind a subject when there is no light behind the subject there is no substitute for a good strobe that is always true and and I think that the only caveat to that scenario is when you were dealing with not enough ambient light and you liked the light that was around you but you just didn't have enough of it I'm going to I'm going to throw a rock in that theory
0: because <laughs> Because I would argue that the purpose of strobe and all things being equal and notwithstanding trying to do creative things and do effects that weren't present in nature, right? And that's where you're like, like you're saying, you want to put a rim light or a halo or you want to, you're doing things that weren't present in nature. But for the most part, even in studio conditions, what photographers are trying to do is make as natural looking scenario as scenario as possible, which is, much easier to accomplish using continuous lighting versus. Okay, I'm gonna throw Good, I into want that this way. is this is why we have twip. Yeah. So you know, and now we have these sensors, so I can use like this light I have lighting me right now is an octagon little you know eBay you know RPS cowboy thingamajigger that you know, and I can get I can get hold on I can get decent exposures using this with my Micro Four Thirds gear, and if I had your gear steve i could you know i could move mountains with it
2: right so that's not a halogen light beaming down on you there frederick that light that you've got above you is not cooking you right next to it right it's leds correct. and those did not exist in their current form Fluorescent. you know yes. in that time period that you were describing before so it's the leds i think that can revolutionize that as well sorry steve yes. if, I, if i stole your thunder i just no no I,
1: I, again you're a hardware guy so i'm I, i'll stand down any <laughs> day of the week i have the exact same octabox here the different is the giant CFL that was in it because it's three feet from my face was so bright, I took it out and I put a Hue yep. light in it, and I have an app that let me dial in the specific temperature that I want for the Hue light, and I can say, Siri, set- <laughs> yeah, I better not. Please, say you're it. setting up thousands <laughs> of, up of phones dark. across the world. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go dark. Um, but my here and my ceiling lights are all Hues. But here's the thing about flash. Yes, you could use an LED panel. Like, for example, I have a small little, you know, Genray LED panel that I can put on top of my camera and use if I'm recording video or something. But it really, even on full brightness, is not the light output or throw of light that I can get from a flash. So when I'm at the casino and I'm doing a meet and greet and I need boom, 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 I need to do, you know, 50 meet and greets with Bruno Mars. I need light. Oh, you said a name. Look at that. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, well, sorry about that. Um, standing back, as far as I have to stand, because sometimes they'll bring, for the meet and greet, eight people in with whoever the artist is. So i got to stand back fairly far. And with ETTL and a flash, that thing will adjust and do what I need. With that LED, as I change my distance to those people, I'm changing right. my exposure. So that, f- And I can't, in the room that I'm in, I can't set up a so studio. You, you the, the advantage I'm, I'm to not y-
0: arguing that, that strobes are
1: obsolete. I'm arguing... Well, you I'm, asked
0: I'm, if they're no, relevant. I'm asking if they're less relevant now than they were. There's still situations where you need to bring a, what we call available light, any light available to you. Right? There's obviously still going to be those situations, but I'm arguing that those situations are now fewer because we don't,
1: we don't need to whip out no. the strobe as often as we did... In the past. And that's not true because there's still too many issues where you're portable. There are so many photographs still being taken, portable, mm-hmm. out in the field where a lot of people don't want to set up LEDs. They don't want to deal with those type of large panels. Uh, uh, to me, they're as relevant okay. as how ever. How many
0: times have you used strobe on your iPhone?
1: Your old iPhone,
0: not the new one because I know it's a trick question. So your old your old iPhone, how many times have you taken flash pictures?
1: Okay, I take flash pictures Ugh. a lot on my phone. And by the way, just so that you know, the the flash on the iPhone 7 is way, way better. But I also have a Loom oh, Cube. Oh, those. And I have yeah. used the Loom Cube with the Loom
2: Cube app as a flash. So the answer to your question oh, is
1: yes, I have.
2: All right. Yeah. Oh, but, Frederick, I want to back you up on this. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. because my comment earlier about having a, uh, a, 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 an ambient light source being too dim to make an image, you would just get blurry results mm-hmm. and you would, or you crank the ISO too high and it would just become grainy and not terribly usable. Now that in that scenario, flash or strobes is not required for everybody, Flasher strokes Correct. would always be a better solution if you want to have full control over it, if it's possible, and better results will will come from it, but it's not required. And so that means it is then less relevant today than it was in the past, uh, if I'm picking up on, on Frederick's grammar precisely. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yes. Yes. My, yes. Pick on the new guy. Yeah. I get you. No, we only pick on the new guy because he's wrong. That's all.
1: <laughs> well, I'm kidding. I'm it's possible. Kidding. Again. I shoot three songs from a photo pit, and I'm not allowed I to know, use flash, so.
0: But, you know, just think, just think, you know, if we're here, I mean, you look at that look at that photo keynote lineup, and this is 2016. Imagine what that lineup right. is going to look like What in 2018, because they go every two years, right? So 2018 or 2020. Let's fast forward to 2020. Do you think if we have this conversation in 2020 that we're still, you know, and I pose the same question, you think that your answers will still be the same, Steve? You yeah no. yeah you know, things are changing it's fast you know and you're just acquiescing because you're, you're <laughs> you know don't be a hermit crab man come on <laughs> I'm, you're no, like man. no i'm going back and <laughs> <laughs> no no it's all good it's it's tons of cool stuff all right switching gears don komarechka your pick of the week, what is it?
2: All right, so I, I always have a hard time with this when I haven't been on in a while because I have gear acquisition syndrome uh, and I've got so many new weird things. Like I've got, I, just looking at what's on my desk, I've got the, from breakout filters, I've got the X4 neutral density filter that I just picked up and I haven't had a chance to use yet, so nice. that's not going to be a pick. Uh, but it, I'm sure it's fantastic. I've got this. Uh, <laughs> a This weight. thing that looks like a dumbbell. It looks like a shake Almost. <laughs> uh, this is a yeah. high-intensity discharge ultraviolet flashlight that emits an immense amount of ultraviolet light that the camera can't really detect quite a lot of it can see some of it but man this is going to be some real fun stuff for fluorescing uh video work and uh, you can light up a building uh, with that thing and they would never know you're lighting up the building Exactly in ultraviolet, yeah. and so I've got some projects on the go that I can't talk about that are going to be using that gear. What, what is, say what that is though? What this is, is a an HID high intensity discharge ultraviolet flashlight. So it's a continuous uh, continuous light that only emits ultraviolet light. No, I mean I mean make and model yeah. so people oh, can geez. find it. Uh, you got to put that
0: in the show notes, done.
2: Yeah, because I'm going to go GSM look that thing up. Ballast? Well, that that's just the ballast of it. You can get it from MaxMax.com. I'll put it in the, uh, in, yeah. the in the show notes where you. Brazil imagine if expensive. you got
0: like six of those and lit up an entire stage in UV light, and then shot the entire concert in UV, you know? Sure, but
2: those are $550 US. Oh, come on, it's Steve Brown. He lives in LA. Everybody down there is rich. There you go. So I I decided then to make my pick of the week, uh, a new piece of gear that I had gotten, this lens, which is the uh, Lomography Daguerreotype Acromat, uh, which was uh, successfully a a Kickstarter, and I just got mine in the other day, Mm, and I've been playing around with it. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, it is an antique lens design, so the quality of the images is not like pristine and perfect, and it lends a certain art form to it because of it. Um, the center of the image is always clearer than the edges, which is kind of a fun effect. Everything is somewhat slightly soft overall, um, but when I saw one of their um, uh, one of their uh, filters that they have for their apertures was a snowflake. Oh, of course. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, I just... had like, snowflake. Okay, I'm, <laughs> sold. <laughs> I'm sold because now I've got a snowflake aperture in my camera. Well, turn and, that thing to the uh, side again. Can Let me look at it. From,
0: let me see it again. Give me a profile of uh, it.
2: Oh, uh, from from the side of it, yeah. So th- th- this is a really really cool brass, like solid brass lens. You can take the the lens it off if you want to, uh, and so you're basically putting a gobo in it, kind of. Okay. Uh, and and so in in, in this the case though, I mean it's a that. really really simple optical design uh, that is age old to the inception of photography, just about. And will it work for everybody? Absolutely not. But will this allow you creativity in camera instead of creativity in post? Yes, it will. And I find that so few photographers rely on the in-camera inventiveness uh, for these kinds of effects specifically, uh, where you might be dealing with flare or blurry areas or uh, a a circular bokeh or, or whatever it happens to be in the image. You can experiment and explore that far better in camera than you could ever recreate in post. And so when I got this camera or th- this lens in my hands, I was just – I was I was happy. It, it, was, it, it looks it like just it has some heft design. to it, right? It looks – Oh, it is heavy. It wow. is a beautiful piece of gear. What does that run? Uh I mean, I got in at the Kickstarter for around seven hundred dollars, I think. Put it, put it, I'm it not put sure. a link to it in the notes so we can we can. We, link we'll to we'll it. put a link to it in the notes for sure. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the the funny thing is, funny story is, uh, Lomography sent me the wrong lens to begin with. Yeah. Um, they the, the invoice said a Canon lens, and uh, I had the Canon macro adapter, which is what I'm really curious to explore because I've got some really fun ideas for that. Um, and I'm trying to take the lens cap off on the back of the camera uh, on the back of the lens. And it's not coming off. I'm like wrenching it. Like I'm spending an hour trying to get this lens cap off by spinning it counterclockwise. That's how Canon lens caps come off, right? And I'm like, okay, well, something's wrong. Something is stuck. So I took a hacksaw to it. And... And so I, I cut off the very bottom of of the, the lens mount because that's there's no camera pieces there, right? That's just the lens mount. Uh, and then I took some pliers to crack the plastic and take it off entirely. And then I try, okay, success, mount it to my camera. It doesn't fit because it was a Nikon lens in the box. And Nikon lens caps come off clockwise, not counterclockwise. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Let's just freeze right there.
1: All you had to do was turn it the other way.
0: As
2: brilliant and as smart as you are, it didn't occur to you to turn it the other direction. Come on. I tried briefly, (laughs) but I had probably wrenched it so far in by turning it counterclockwise, that it wasn't going to budge the other way with minimal effort. And I figured, okay, well, a few seconds turning it that way didn't do anything. Let's go back to the game plan of trying to get it off the way I think it should come off. I'm, I'm going to uh, say Hacksaw
0: probably would have been maybe three or four steps
2: down the line for me. before I that out. Yeah. It, it, is, it is not the first lens that I've taken a, hack to, <laughs> uh, a Hacksaw to, and it will not be the last. Yeah uh but uh they they fixed it they got me a Canon mount and I'm very happy I just with have that. to say I'm the new guy but I've never hacked lighters.
1: <laughs> just gotta that's say.
0: why you got to watch Don's new podcast coming up you he'll, he'll be destroying <laughs> yeah. lots of expensive camera gear <laughs> with home Depot equipment <laughs> oh my gosh I love it well that's a good that's a good pick let me see that again where's that?
2: Yeah, so the, 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 this it, it's brass, it's beautiful. They do make a black version, but I I just love the brass. And I want to take this out for photo walks and this is a very experiential kind of piece of camera gear. Very, and they do make it's other It's very lenses. blingy.
0: It's very blingy. Like I could I could see that in a, you know, an expensive hotel, like a Trump Tower or something. I can see
2: that. Yeah, it, it is just a piece of beauty. It is a piece of art in and of itself. And, of course, manual, everything. You know, the, the aperture is controlled by whatever you drop in oh, here. Right, they, they, right. they come with they, they come with a bunch of circular ones and different shapes and what have you. And so you control the aperture with that. You control the focus by a manual focus. And so, yeah, it, it, it does require a bit of skill on on the part of the photographer. And you're dealing with ancient tech that's uh, kind of baked into it. Yeah. But that, that does not stop somebody from being creative. In fact, it enhances it today when everything is too perfect that mistakes are few and far between. We got so much and technology. mistakes are where creativity I'm, is I'm born. actually really
1: anxious to see yeah. your shots from that. Likewise.
2: Yeah. When are you going to take it out? Uh, well, I've taken it for a few tests just to experiment with it around the yard and, and, and what have you. And those tests have encouraged me to maybe spend the next week or so with this lens only on my camera when I go out and shoot. Awesome.
0: All right, gents. Thank you. I'm going to skip my pick the week because we are really out of time. We gotta we gotta crush this thing down. Too bad. It was a, a good one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Next time. Next time. We'll leave a little teaser in there. Um, all right, Steve Brazel. Thanks for coming on, man. What uh, what do you got? What do you got coming up? Where can people find you and all that good stuff?
1: Uh, well, again, got the podcast coming up on the Twip Network. Behind the Shot, hoping to launch sometime soon. Working on the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, you can find my website, stevebrazil.com It's the same as the country Brazil, but two L's. Um, and Instagram, it's Steve Brazel. Twitter, it's raz2. Uh, and uh, Facebook, it's Steve Brazel Photography. You can and hit me we'll up on any of those. And we'll link to all of those in the notes so people can find you
0: easily by just coming to episode 483 on thisweekinphoto.com. Don Komarechka, what about you, man? What's going on? Also known ah. as, from henceforth, you shall be known as D-Money.
2: Yes, yes, I've got this uh, this wonderful coin that has my my, my image on yep. it, and uh, so that that is a huge accomplishment. But at the same time, um, I'm I'm doing some really fun stuff with projects that unfortunately I just can't talk about yet. Uh, so I'm going to keep you in, in in the mystery realm for that for now, but. If you follow me uh, on any of the social media places, which you can find linked to at doncom.ca d o n k o dot C-A, uh, then as soon as I can talk about that stuff, you will find out about it, and you will be very excited when you do. So, uh, And of course, the podcast. Inside the Lens, launching October 7th. Um, we've got six episodes already recorded, uh, and some really fun stuff coming up towards the end of our first season with that. Uh, and I'm I'm totally excited for the feedback. I've I've kind of given it to a couple of people the first inaugural episode just to get some feedback on it mm-hmm. and unanimous applause. So everybody I think will enjoy it. And those that. were those were strangers, not just, you know, your wife and child. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, people that do not live in the same okay. domicile.
0: Do not depend on you for sustenance. These are other <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks both of you guys for coming on. It's been a great show. Lots. I mean, we, we could have gone for like four hours talking about that photokina stuff and just geeking out on it. But uh, some tells me we will be talking about these announcements for the next couple of episodes on this week in photo. So thanks to you both for coming on, Steve Brazel. Congratulations, you made it through the gauntlet of your first episode Thank of you, for having me, man. you You're a star. You put up with it. You put up with the with the pounding, and you're still here. I had hair when I got here. I love it. Yeah, Don took it. (laughs) All right, guys. We are at the end of another episode of TWIP. Once again, be sure to visit us over at thisweekinphoto.com. You can check out the new TWIP school at twipschool.com. And you can subscribe to all of our podcasts over on YouTube, etc., etc. We're on Facebook, Twitter, all those usual suspect places. And you know what time it is? It's time to take that lens cap off.
2: This week in photo is a pixelcore.tv production,
1: produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.